people. Amen? That's good news, right? So what do we have to fear? The second truth is, and this is the one we're a little bit more reluctant to accept, though the gospel advances, that doesn't mean there's not opposition to the gospel, right? So there will always be forces at work that prevent the gospel, and uh, we shouldn't be surprised when there's opposition. I want to encourage you with a verse just as we kind of just get this thing started this morning. First Peter chapter four. Look at the words here. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Like here's what Peter says. When difficulties arise, why do we act shocked? Don't be surprised as though something strange were happening to you. But what's the answer to suffering? What's the answer to any sort of opposition you may be going through? Rejoice. Somehow you've got to find joy. Now, you can't do this without Christ. You can't do this apart from God, right? People try to find hope and joy apart from God. It's not there. But when, you're, when you have the anchor of Christ in your life, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Because what you're going through, Jesus went through it himself. He said, there's no one that's going to uh, love me and follow me that's not going to go through things that are going to be difficult. Jesus did it himself, right? That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So one day you're going to hear from God, well done, good and faithful servant. As you endure trials with joy, as you endure suffering with joy, how do you do this? Well, this morning I think you're going to be blessed and encouraged because you're going to hear a testimony from someone who has suffered, someone who has been through uh, difficulties, someone who has experienced opposition, and I'd be a fool not to take advantage of this opportunity to have uh, our, our speakers today share their journey and their story with you. But before we even get to them, I'm going to invite uh, Jason Gregg to come on up. Jason and his family are fairly new to Missio a few months now. Give Jason a hand if you would. Jason and his wife, Linda... Uh, they're also New Valley Christian School teachers. Give it up for the Trojans in the house. Come on, don't leave me hanging. All right, there we go. Uh, and we met the Greggs by way of Ezra, who needed a home to kind of stay in while his family was transitioning back. And the Kosans gave Ezra uh, a bedroom for, uh, for a while and, and lived with them. So God has been, just been sovereign all over this thing. So we're blessed to have uh, the Greggs here. And uh, I'm not going to yammer on any more than I uh, need to. I'm going to turn over to Jason. Again, give Jason a hand if you would. Thanks for being here with us. Okay, yes, I'm here because the Kosans brought my, or took my son in. It's a long story, but when we were in Taiwan last year, my son was homeless here, basically, in need, in need of a home. And the Kosans were like, okay, we'll take him in. He's 16 years old, goes to desert. Uh, Vista High School now, so I just want to give them a shout out for taking on my son, who they had no clue who he was, allowing them him to live with them in his ha in their house indefinitely for months without really knowing us or anything about uh, our family. Really, they knew our family, but they didn't know Ezra. So I wanted to say just publicly, thank you very much. And because of that, we we decided to come here because we knew if there's people like that here, this is where we want to be. So. So, yeah, so uh, I was asked to come and start kind of a <clears throat> share with you a little bit about our family. We had a kind of an amazing situation happen. And um, you can go ahead and start that slide. Uh, first of all, this is a couple of verses that whenever I'm asked to talk on this topic, I like to throw up because it is really not about us at all. It's about Christ and uh, how he's worked through us. Um, so I go ahead and go on to the next verse. So I just want to uh, kind of give you guys a little background information. And the, the purpose here today is to encourage any of you, if you're going through hardships, whether whatever level that may be, okay, it might be just your school. If you're a Christian and you're going through some kind of hardship, even in your personal journey as a Christian, that is going to be a part of your journey. So we all experience these hardships as Christians at different levels, doubts, or, or maybe it's real physical hardship. But at whatever level, my intent, our intent today is to encourage you as a church to follow Christ no matter what happens. So, um, yeah, next one. So I'm going to kind of give you guys a little background here. So this is my family. When I was young, uh, my parents, basically, my parents were missionaries, Christian missionaries. 
And I like to say the word, there, there are people on a mission, okay? Because missionaries has a lot of baggage nowadays. And so I like to say my parents were Christians on a mission to spread Christ's message everywhere, wherever they went. For them, it happened to be overseas. And so when you're a child of somebody on a mission like that, when they're, you end up going to a lot of different places. So for them, God called them to go overseas. Um, and around 1976, I believe it was, the first place that God called them to leave the U.S. was Brazil. So you can go ahead and switch to the next Brazil. So I'll just quickly tell you some of the places. That's where I was born. Uh, my sister was already alive. They moved to Brazil, started doing some ministry in Brazil, learning the language and all that stuff. And then uh, we ended up, when I was three, moving to Portugal, uh, which was the second flag there. And then, um, yeah, and then after we, I grew up in Portugal. They stayed there for about 16 years doing ministry, church planting with the, uh, with the mission organization. And then after Portugal, when I was 16, they decided to, after Russia kind of collapsed and the Iron Curtain opened up a bit, and there was opportunity then for, for, for Christians to go to Russia, my parents decided to move to Russia my junior year of high school. So we picked up and left, and we moved from Lisbon, Portugal, to Russia, uh, Moscow. And uh, in Moscow, uh, we lived there for about a year. I went to school there at a school called Hinkson Christian Academy. And then my senior year, they decided after they had learned enough Russian for a year, they did a Russian language study, they were going to move to a southern province of Russia called um, Dagestan. Okay, Dagestan is there, kind of... It's a little hard to see, but on the left there, you can kind of give you a little reference as to where they went south. That little red spot there, that's Dagestan. And you, you'll notice that um, right next to Dagestan, just west of that, is the country of Chechnya. And I don't know if you know much about Chechnya, but Chechnya is a, a pretty uh, Muslim place. A lot of military Islamic uh, groups there. And um, when they moved south... I went down there. There was no school for me, so that's when I came back to the U.S. my senior year and went to Valley Christian, uh, which has kind of brought me full circle. <laughs> now I'm working there. But, um, yeah, thankful for that and thankful for, the, for Valley for, for that. And um, at this point, okay, I was in college when they moved to Dagestan, and I received a phone call one day and the dorms was pre-cell phones, and I went and got the phone, and my sister was on the phone, kind of panicked, and she had said to me, um, something happened to Dad, we're not sure what happened. Um, somebody took him off the streets. Right? Somebody took him, kidnapped him. Um, so I'm going to, real quick, the cool thing about this story is, usually when I tell this story, you know, I have more slides, and I tell the story about what happened, but... Um, thing is, is he's here to tell the story himself today. So I just want to leave you with this before I call my dad up. It says, for it has, this is found in Philippians 129. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And that's what happened. So dad, come on up. The normal way we learn of God, basically, and all his attributes, his goodness, his power, his righteousness, his holiness, his mercy, his kindness, etc., 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 is how? The Word of God, the written Word of God. 
that God has blessed us with. But sometimes he gives his people experiences also that teach something of those things. And that's what this was. It was a waterfall experience where for seven and a half months I got doused with his presence and power and goodness and many things like that uh, 23 years ago, 24 years ago. So um, the goal of the, the jihadis who took me off the street uh, was twofold, to, what, to convert me to extremism, Islam, and to get as much money as they could for jihad, meaning holy war, which is what they live for. Uh, for the most part, uh, uh, we start out our, our time in the city called Mahachkala, and then I was taken off the street and, and transported to, in, into Chechnya and held there for seven and a half months, 231 days. And um, uh, during those months, I, I had a, a hand on my throat, a knife to my neck, three times a, a pistol to my face, and I knew I was in big trouble. So they, they threw me into this little washroom, which was about um, two yards by three yards, a Soviet-built uh, school. And um, uh, there were little windows on, on one end of it. They had a door on one end, a door on the other end, and uh, a little one-yard by two-yard lumpy mat. And that was my home for most of that time. And so, um, quite an, an experience. So I knew I was in uh, real trouble, and I needed God's help big time. And uh, a phrase from Psalms flashed in my memory, which was, command victories for Jacob. And I felt like a little Jacob. As you know, Jacob had a, had a brother named Esau, who for a while really wanted to kill him. And that's what these guys were like. They were like a bunch of Esau's surrounding me, just wanting to, to do me in. And so I knew I needed uh, some real victories from God, command victories for Jacob. I needed some miraculous victories if I was going to make it. So uh, the first victory I, I needed was... Uh, No cutting off of my hand. They had a, a, a plan, and some of them wanted to do that. And um, I was taken in the middle of November, and the last week of February rolled around, and um, they, they tried to actually do that. They, they thought they could, uh, they were really threatening, and they, they thought if, if they cut off my hand, they could, that could give more power to their, their demand for, for money. And so three wild weeks started where uh, a group of them would go beside down, down the hall and, and uh, start preparing things to cut. And another group would, would go and argue with them and not let them do that that day. And I, I had to listen to it. To that, and so day after day they would just go on by and and try to do their thing, and God would not let them accomplish that. Uh, two times, however, during those three weeks, I walked out of my room thinking my hand was gone, and so uh, it was it was very very intense, as as you can imagine. Okay, the second victory I needed was no carting to the killing camp. In Chechnya, in the mountains, there was a village, apparently, that had uh, uh, a place where they dispatched people who would not or could not come up with the money. They would drive them up, up there and take care 
of them and they, they, they would disappear. And so I was really asking God not to allow that to happen. They showed me uh, an Islamic newspaper with, with four two-inch square pictures of heads, uh, a Brit and I think three New Zealanders, uh, technicians who had been uh, decapitated um, just to make a statement. They, the, the, the number on them was five million, but they didn't care about that. They, they wanted their deaths, so, so they did that to them. During the first days and weeks of that incarceration, two groups formed. One I call the doves, the other the hawks. The hawks really wanted the American Christian missionary dead. The doves really wanted the money of the American Christian missionary, and they worked for that intensely. And so they were, they were very... Um, very adamant, both of them, and there was a constant debate uh, about what to do with me and, and so forth, and I was right in the middle of that debate. During the last few months of that seven and a half months, uh, it was really the, the wildest time in that scores and scores of cars uh, would come up skid up to our area, and some of them would, would honk, wanting my body, and, the, and, to, and haul me off to the killing camp. The uh, uh, doves would say to them, oh, you don't want to do that. You, you don't want to take a man who has children, do you? You don't want to kill a man who has grandchildren, do you? Things like that. And then uh, one of them said, oh, you don't want to kill a man who weeps, do you? And the story on that is I had been by that time involved with missions very busy all over the world, 22 years. And um, I'm really one of those busy type American people. And uh, so what did God do? He put me in this little washroom and just made me be absolutely still with nothing I, I could do but pray and meditate and things like that. And uh, God was doing a, a new thing in my life. And um, the Holy Spirit, it, it turned out to be about every third time I would get talked to by these guys in one way or another. And so I had lots of, of quiet time. And so the Holy Spirit, being holy, started convicting and showing me all sorts of sin patterns he was not happy with because he's the Holy Spirit. And the one that really broke me up was uh, lack of love towards my sister. I have a non-believing uh, sister to this day and uh, years, decades ago, we had a, a falling out. She wanted to follow the world, and I wanted to follow the Lord. And there wasn't much communication between us. And I really got convicted of how I hadn't acted like a Christian brother towards my own sister. And that, plus other thoughts, like what it would do to Linda, my family, my death, and so forth, really... For the first time, I was really basically a non-weeper. Started the, the floods coming, big time. Day after day, week after week. When these young jihadis would, would walk by with their AK-47 and their hunting knives, they would stop in their tracks when they heard me weeping. And I realized that my weeping spoke to them more than my words. But God got me through that one. That was the second victory. Demand victories for Jacob. The other victory I needed was the money issue. They were demanding from day one to the last day, three and a half million. No problem for, for an American, they thought. And so... 
We don't know how God solved that, but he did so, somehow. No big money was paid, and, and we didn't have to come up with three and a half million, but it was a real victory by, by God. Uh, another victory was uh, the actual release. I realized that, you know, Philippians 121, for me to die, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Paradise is better than here. Much better than even wonderful America. Uh, but I, I still wanted to live, if he, if he would allow it, I wanted to keep on working for him, if he would be okay with that. So that was my request. So I remembered about um, Hezekiah, the good king Hezekiah, how um, uh, Isaiah had to announce the news to him that he was going to die. And what did Hezekiah do? He wept, talked to the Lord, and the Lord gave him more years. He didn't, didn't have to die. So I did the same thing. Same God. So um, around April 12th, they went ahead and cut the finger. And... Uh, As you can imagine, the atmosphere around there was very tense and, and, and very dark. And I really had to fight off thoughts of terror. And um, without the scripture in my mind, it would have been impossible to, ha to have victory. It, it was absolutely necessary. So I'll just quote some, some verses for you. Um, Jeremiah 32:27 Behold I am the, I am the, I am the Lord the God of all flesh is there anything too hard for me God rhetorically asks well of course it wasn't too hard for God to get me out of there if he wanted to Jeremiah 33:3 3, and call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things well I needed this great and mighty thing and and he was up to it 2 Chronicles 16, 9. Uh, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is what? Completely his, completely submitted to him. So I worked on that. 2 Chronicles 20, 21. And when they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. So so that they were routed. This huge army comes against little Judah without weapons. God says, what? Go out and march and sing and praise God, and he would wipe out the enemy? Yes. And God ambushed their efforts to, to get me. Same God, the same exact God. In the New Testament, the Lord had to say to his men more than once, you of little faith. You have such little faith. Uh, one night, it was very desperate, and um, I was thinking that, was, that would be it. That would be my last night in that little place. And um, so... I tried to keep my spirits up and sing little hymns and so forth. And it was late in the evening, and I was tired, so I just gave it up, went to sleep. About 4 a.m., I woke up, and it was as if I could hear the Lord say, you have such little faith. After the whole episode, and I was released, um, we got to thinking about why, what were the purposes of all that? And so we came up with a, an, an acronym, SWEEP, S-S-W-W-E-E-P. The first S, suffering. Philippians 1.29, as Jason quoted, 
For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to what? Suffer for his sake. God gives us this amazing package, right? And part of that package involves suffering. In fact, for our spiritual growth, you could say that's one of the very best aspects of this package. Show. God was showing showing those attributes of power, goodness. I wasn't reading about them. He was pouring them on me. He was showing me those things in a very real way. Witness. We were very active in, in Dagestan witnessing to people. That's why we went there, was to help bring them to the Lord. So there were 34 unreached people groups in, in that province. Really exciting a place to be as far as the missionary attitude. And so uh, Chesnia was right next door. And every noon, we would have a prayer meeting for the people we're working with and our outreaches and whatnot. Do you think we prayed for the Chechens? Hmm. They were on the other side of the border, so we, we didn't think about them. And so what did God do? He took this little Jonah across the province, plunked me in the middle of young Chechens who don't know him at all, who just are living in savagery and darkness. Why? Because God was loving them when we weren't even thinking about, about them. And that's the difference between man's love and God's love. Weak. My power is made perfect in weakness. You know, I'm more clumsy, I'm weaker now. Good, good. I have to rely on him more. End. The, the commander of the spiritual forces of the universe was saying, that skirmish is over with. Let's go to other places. The Russian government said, no more missionaries in Dagestan. And so we all left. So we could do battle elsewhere. So he was ending that at that time. Example. Those jihadis willing to die at the drop of a hat needed to see a Christian with the same attitude. And the young fledgling church needed to see some of the price of, of following Christ that we had been working with. Pruning. During that time, as I mentioned to you, God was showing me all sorts of sin patterns. Uh, lack of love, lack of faith, lack of prayer, lack of kindness, lack of consideration, a lot of lacks that he was not happy with. And so he wasn't putting me down. He was actually reviving me. That's part of revival is showing us where we really are and how much we, we need his work in our life. And so it was actually wonderful. Uh, one other night was very desperate, like that, that previous night. And uh, I, I had a little candle, and I lit it up, and uh, as fast as I could, my, I had an old coat. It had uh, these silk linings. I, I ripped out the linings. I was thinking in my mind, OK, if they haul me off to the camp, uh, I'll have some big strips, Band-Aid type things. And if they beat me up a little bit, I can bandage myself up. So I got those ready as quick as I could, and I got the, the matches and candle back in my pocket and just sat and laid there, ready to be hauled off. And they didn't come, obviously. I'm here. And the next night, they didn't come. 
and those weeks passed day and night and they couldn't they didn't grab me and haul me off but as i sat there waiting for them this is what happened to the candle it just flattened out as i laid and sat sat around and i realized well, that's what God was trying to do with me. Just flatten that ego and self and sin that messes up his work. Now my better half is going to have a word. for 28 years that's why I'm but I'm walking and that's a miracle in itself so I'd had MS about five years when this happened and um, you know it's like uh, we were here last week when Pastor Scott was saying that um, that we have hard things in our lives uh, he was using Paul as an example of he had ministry and then the ministry brought trials and suffering and he uh, he learned so much about God and God was working in his heart to transform him to be more like Jesus and then he learned that and have a little recovery and then whoop, re redo, start again um, and repeat, you know. And that's the way it is with the Christian. I accepted Christ when I was 13 years old and over the years, had many different trials come into my life, but this one was a doozy. Um, and I was at home. You always wonder if when you, 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 you meet in your life that thing that is just your dreaded nightmare, and this was my dreaded nightmare, if God would be there and, and be in the midst of it, and I can say that he was totally and I'm 75, and it's the same thing for everything in my life. Uh, just, I was home making dinner. I didn't go because I had a little MS. I didn't do sports. Um, and so Herb was at an orphanage um, with uh, some of the young people from our church plant. And I was making dinner, potato, mashed potatoes, stir, stir, add more milk. He was late. And at first, I was a little bit ticked. And then I thought, oh, maybe I should be worried. And then I really got worried. And then um, after a little while, knock on the door. And I went tearing over there. And we, he went with two um, people from our church. Young Christine was a young single worker. Um, and Marat was uh, the worship. He was a teen, about 18 years old. He, was, he did the worship at our church. And they had been running. You could tell they'd run up three flights of stairs. And they, as soon as I got the door open, they yelled, is Herb here? And I said, oh, no, I thought he was with you. And then they didn't know what to say. And so then I said, well, what's wrong? And then they said, well, he was walking down the street after the orphanage, going to the bus stop and um, with Alka, a little boy from our church that didn't really have a dad. And Herb took him and, and spent time with him. And there was an accident. And I said, did they get run over? And they said, no, worse. And I'm thinking, worse? And then they said, I said, well, what could it be? And they said, well, a car pulled up next to him, and a man got out, showed a badge. Um, Herb knew not to get any police any down there. But so he was, tried to resist, and he tried to wrestle him and he couldn't get his feet up but they got another guy out of the car and when they got his feet up shoved him in and the little boy Alka that's him he uh he 
jumped on the back of one of them and they threw him off. He wasn't worth any money. And, um, but he looked, tried to find the license plates, but there weren't any on the car and watched them drive off. And then he ran back to the orphanage, got Christine and Mara and told them what happened. They run to the house. And so I said, come in. And they came in and we called the document people and they said the police would be coming. So we went in to pray and I prayed first, and then afterwards I was thinking, this happened on a Wednesday that he was kidnapped. But on the Saturday before, we'd had a youth meeting, and after we had the youth meeting, um, we had some extra time, so we said, why don't, you know, let's just share something that we see God doing in each other's lives. And when it got to my turn, for some reason, I just really felt like I needed to tell Herb that he was the most faithful person to the Lord that I ever knew and the big things and the small things and how much I loved him. Well, these kids thought that was hilarious, you know, because it was so different than everything they were sharing. But as I thought about that, I thought, oh, my word, God knew that if anything ever happened to Herb like this, that the thing that I would feel the worst about was if I hadn't had a chance to tell him that. And so he gave me the opportunity to tell him that and I thought, oh, my word, he let me say that on, helped me to say that on Saturday because he knew on Wednesday this was going to happen. Well, my heart had been beating like a freight train, but it settled down. And I realized that God was in this and that he would help us. And so uh, we, we were supposed to leave within 24 hours so nothing happened to us, but we begged for another day because when you work in a Muslim country, part of Russia, um, you can't just give out the four laws or the gospel. Uh, it takes a lot of love and sharing from your heart and life experiences. And we were there nearly five years, but with some people that we knew, we hadn't come to the end of being able to finish. And so we asked and by God's grace, they gave us another day. And so then the next day, um, people, we had taught at the university English and grade school English, um, teachers at the grade school English, teachers from the villages, and we just knew so many people, and they all came flooding into our house. And the people from the church came too, and they had quite a ministry as we finished um, expressing all we wanted to about Jesus. And then we had to, well, then that night when everybody left, just the people from the church were there and we had communion together. And the young man, who was actually the son of the man who was the acting pastor, had such a gift for preaching. His name was Timur. And he actually told me that they had talked and they realized that Herb was willing, if necessary, to give his life that they would hear the gospel. And they felt that it was their responsibility now to turn around and reach those 30 unreached people groups um, and that we, sh we should go because uh, we had to. And so they took us in a bus that we used to go do um, baptisms to the airport and we flew off. And there I was leaving everything, ministry, my husband didn't know. It was really difficult, but I realized that God knew it was going to happen. Herbert changed too much money before he went to the orphanage because we were going to take a trip, and I said, oh, my word, what you change so much money for? Because rubles to dollars, you could lose a lot of money if you did it too soon. And he said, oh, I don't know, we'll find something to spend it on, and it was the exact amount we needed to buy the tickets to get back up to Moscow. And so we got to Moscow, and I, w I had to go to the American consulate, and Laura Clodorisi was the consulate general. It was her first day, and she was so nice and so sorry, but she said I had to go over to the, um, the Russian police that they wanted to talk to me, and I had some papers to sign. So um, she sent her secretary, a translator. Christine went with me, um, and and an FBI man. <laughs> we all got into this big old limo thing and went over to the Russian police. And when I got in there, it looked like a courtroom, 
it was layered up and there was a lady up at the top and then the, all these other police people were there and there was a man, we were sitting in a row here and there was a man sitting right in front. Boy, he was mad. He was the one that asked me questions. Um, and he was really rude and mean. And I was really glad, I spoke Russian, but I was really glad I had the translator because it gave me time to think about what I was gonna say to his answers. And he, you know, he was going on and on and on and asking, you know, what my name was, where we came from, uh, what we were doing down there, you know, working, whatever. And then he got really mad and he said, what you knew that it was dangerous down there. So what in the world were you doing down there? And I said, well, the Russian government never really said that we shouldn't go down there. And when we got down there, people were like 86% unemployed and they, their life was so hard. And, um, and we just had such a heart to help them and they were so receptive and um, so I said that we, what really happened is that I thought that we didn't read how dangerous it was because we fell in love with them. And that, I can't believe I said this, but I said, and you know that as far as the Russian other people think about that Caucasus area like the armpit of Russia, and, um, but we didn't and we loved them. And then this is what happened. And you know, I had been going through the translator and when he asked that question, I just answered in Russian. And somehow it changed him. And he just softened and asked a few more questions. And then he said I had to sign some papers. So the lady came down and I guess she was the main lady. And she said, you know, I haven't stopped praying for you since it happened and I thanked her so much. And I said my hope was in the Lord. But that, you know, and, but she said she would do everything, that they would do everything they could to get him out. So I signed the papers that they would. And um, then she said, you have to go home. She said, you're the weakest link. You care the most, and they know it. And so they'll try to get a hold of you. And if they can get a hold of you and make a demand and you can't meet, then they'll have to hurt him to show how much, how serious they are. So Christine and I, they took us to the airport, and off we fly to the United States. And all the other times when we went to the United States, you know, you get there, you feel like kissing the ground. But um, this time, oh, it was sad. It was like free fall. I, I was leaving everything, even Russia, and my husband back there somewhere, at this point, didn't even know what had really happened to him, um, except for they did interrogate me in Alka. They were interrogating him, and he was there, and he said everything in Malhachkala, so I knew that they took him off the street at least. And while I was on the plane, a miraculous thing happened. Christine went to watch the movie. I didn't want to watch the movie. And I had a Walkman, which shows how old we were and how long ago it was. It was the kind that went back and forth. You didn't have to flip the cartridge. And I had a Praise 6 tape. So I put that on and I was, I was just, in, it was the most wonderful time of worship I've ever had in my life. Jason, are you gonna put your hand up? Two minutes? Oh my gosh. Anyway, God came to me on that trip and there was a huge white light and he revealed himself to me, put a, a trunk of strength down into me and I got back to the States and, um, and there I was washing dishes and doing clothes and I asked God, I knew Herb would be faithful, but I asked him what he wanted of me. And so I was in my quiet time, Romans 5, where it says, uh, rejoice in your sufferings because God produces perseverance, character, and hope. And I realized, oh my God, I'd never seen the word produce before. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's producing something. And I realized at that time, it had been a while, that it was perseverance that I was really feeling he wanted. And so I, um, I asked God to help me and then I thought about when Jesus was in the boat and the storm came up and the apostles, they all get freaked out and they wake him up. They think they're going to die. And he calms it and he says, oh, you have little faith. And I realized what, what he wanted was for me to stay in that boat and get to the other side, to believe 
that he was going to get me to the other side, and I asked him that he would help me. Uh, and so on June 29th, I didn't think really. I had come to the point where I could see either way, if God took him, it would be good, or if he brought him back to us, it would be good, but I kind of thought he was going to take him. And it was I was here in Mesa, and it was um, June 29th, 6 o'clock in the morning, sunny, and the phone rang. And the, the, I had a contact from Wheaton, our, where our mission was, and he was the one supposed to call me and tell me if Herb ever got out so that I couldn't be tricked by anybody else. But so the phone rang, and I thought it was late, and I'd overslept, so I said, hello. Uh, and Bill Daniels from the State Department, he called me every month. He said there wasn't, he had told me early that there was only about 1% chance he would ever get out because he was the only American they ever got. He was a Christian missionary, and they were holding him in Chechnya. So I know Jason. I'm going to just minute. He's getting nervous back there. <laughs> anyway, um, he said... Um, he said that uh, he had some good news for me. And I'm thinking, good news. And I didn't ever think it could be the release. And he had called and told me that very same thing another time. And he said there were four little heads that got in the newspaper that got the people got their be heads be cut off, but Herb's wasn't one of them. That was his good news. So when he said it was good news, I didn't have any idea what kind of good news this was going to be. I didn't think it would be the release. And he said, Herb is... A, Herb is out. And I thought, out? Is he knocked out? What's he and then I said, I don't understand. What do you mean? And he said, he's on a plane winging his way to Moscow right now. Oh, my gosh, I came up out of that bed like levitation. Uh, and I started yelling, Daddy's out. And Jason and Linda, his fiance at the time, was there because school was out. And my son-in-law and my daughter and my little grandson were jumping around in the the hall just praising the Lord then I remember I had still Bill on the phone so I said oh I'm sorry and he, he just couldn't have been happier and he said Herb will call you when he gets to Moscow and he did and then in an hour I was on my way to Chicago I saw those pictures of him coming down out of the plane and I had wondered if he would be all right and when I saw uh, when he came down out of that plane they asked him a question and the question was what would you a message if you could send a message to your captors what would you do what would you send? And he said, I'd say that God really loves them. So I knew that he would be all right. And I got, uh, then we got to Mos to London, and they let me go behind customs, and then I saw over the partition some taller guys, and then I, I realized he was coming, and then he came around the corner, and he was about 50 at the time, but he, w he had lost 40 pounds. There he is. And he was kind of bent over, and all that hair and beard had been cut off. And I thought, oh, my heart sunk. I thought, oh, he looks about 80 or 90 years old. <laughs> and then I looked at his neck, and it looked like a little chicken neck without the hair. And then I, I, was, I was really worried. And then I looked in his eyes, and there was so much hope and love and peace and joy that I knew that he had been with the Lord, like God had been with me. And... The long and the short of it, as, as we were debriefed, I realized that he was like, what happened to him was like what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was in the fiery furnace, and when he got out, he, didn't, he wasn't burned, and he didn't even smell like smoke. He felt they were more captive than he was. And um, so I just think, you know, we think that the things, the way God was in the Old Testament is not today, but it is the same Anything, everything, he's in control of, and he can make something beautiful out of anything when we can't see that it's possible that he could, and he does. And so, yeah, um, I'm sorry I took longer, but it's really hard to tell seven and a half months' worth in a couple minutes. <laughs> Appreciate you guys sharing and so thankful for your your story and this is a testimony to not only your perseverance but God's faithfulness and uh, I want I want to just we're just gonna do a, a quick little Q and A here in a minute just take a few minutes and if you have a question 
they have said they will answer every question and any question. No, just kidding. Whatever you have. Um, they're going to be available between services, too. So if you want to hang out. Um, here, here's what I don't want us to do. And, yeah, the feedback is, is fun. So you just have to bear with it. Don't waste this moment we've had together. And, and what I mean by that is as your pastor, I'm always saying, what are you going to leave here with? What are you going to leave here with? This wasn't just to hear an inspirational story. God has allowed them to go through what they've allowed to, him, to go, them, him to, for them to go through for us to be encouraged. And I want to just give you personal encouragement. Number one, what I am taking away from this is... God allows us to go through difficulties to show us things about ourselves. Some of us, our first go-to is to point the finger and say, he's the blame, she's the blame. This is, you first have to go, God, what do you want me to see about myself as I'm going through this? Number one. Number two, I don't, we don't want you flexing your, your strength. We want you to use your weakness as an opportunity to glorify God. See, we, we forget about what God, you know, Paul says, right? It's in our weaknesses, strength is made perfect. You, you refer to that. We go around flexing our strength. Like, yo, check me out, my gifts, my talents, this, this. God's not going to use that. He's going to use the very thing that has humbled you and broken you so that in the end, he gets glorified. So don't shirk away from your weaknesses. Ask God, how do you want to be glorified in this, this area of, of, of struggle, this hum humility? And I even shared a little bit about that last week. I'm still tired from last week. I mean, pray for me, right? Uh, your suffering is also not necessarily for you. It's for the witness to others. And as Herb shared, how does Jesus' character going to be revealed in this difficulty? So that even your adversaries, your opponents, see Jesus in you. To fight like the world and to even perhaps take a sword and be all eager like Peter. God doesn't want you to fight. He wants you to, to love. Pray for those who persecute you. Love those who are your enemies, right? So don't forget, like, there's, there's something else that God wants to do in this. And don't take your cues from the world. Take your cues from, from God. And lastly, if I can use something that you said, God allows us to go through suffering. It's not that he's punishing us. Here's the word. He's refining us. If you think God is punishing you, you, you forgot what the cross is all about. Jesus already took your punishment. Amen? He doesn't allow you to go through difficulties to punish you. He allows you to go through difficulties to refine you. Those are my takeaways. <laughs> give me a lot to think about you guys thank you just real quick couple questions anyone have a question angie nice and loud so when you were talking about them coming by your by your encampment and your, mm -hmm. your room and, and you were weeping did you actually ever have an opportunity to have a conversation with them and maybe like introduce christ to them in any way yes um the latter half or so of those seven and a half months we actually had conversations, and uh, they got all sorts of food for thought, and uh, and that was one reason why why God had me in there. Well, but at, at first they they were they were browbeating me, and I had to be mum. But later it became more two way. Yeah. Well, and they they knew already that he wasn't afraid to die because of a conversation they had. This was a different kind of crying. Mm -hmm. This was a uh, soul cry, yeah. you know. That's good. Mm -hmm. Love that. Good question, Lori. Um, did you say your relationship with your sister was not good? And um, through this, you said she's not a believer, but was there any restoration of your relationship with her? And how did your experience help the healing of that relationship? Yes, um, she lives here in Phoenix, and she's actually going to be here for the second service. Oh, and um, I went ahead and uh, uh, asked her forgiveness ahead of time, and, and, and she gave it. And we are much uh, better off 
in, in that way, so socially. And she is seemingly closer to the Lord, coming to the Lord anyway now. So yeah. she went from total atheist to, she got bucked off a horse a few years ago, a couple years ago, and she knew that God saved her life for a reason. So she's been turning more and more toward him. So she's never heard this story uh, like the, in a setting like this. So you might pray for her. Her name's Patty. Yeah. She'll be here. Yeah. And be nice to Patty. You guys are going to meet her and be like, oh, you're Pat? Like, don't do that. Feign ignorance. All right. One more question, Jerry. Mm -hmm. He's a real. He he has been since he was with the Navigators when we very first when he very first came to the Lord and we met and he just knew chapters and everything because he didn't have a Bible with him. They wouldn't let him have the Bible. Right. They tried to get him a Quran, but it, it, they couldn't find an English one, so they gave him. <laughs> so yeah. more, just showing us how much he knew. Yeah, uh -huh. hiding God's word in your heart, memorizing Scripture. Mm -hmm. Uh, when we met this week, you know, he mentioned the Navigator's topical memory system. That's what I had given to me as a teenager. Right. There's nothing better for the believer than to memorize scripture because you're going to be in a situation, you're going to be in a circumstance, and you're not going to have your Bible with you. You might have your smartphone, but you're not going to rifle through all your downloaded apps to find the Bible app, right? You need the word hidden in your heart, like David says in Psalm 119, because it's going to be during those moments of hopelessness that that word births hope in yeah. you. So, David, one more question. One more question. Uh, how have you kept in touch with uh, the church and the people of Rockdale over the last couple of decades? We haven't much. They, there's a lot of surveillance electronically, and we've just prayed for them. The but we haven't done uh, a lot of communication. Uh, we have a, a, a situation now where um, one of the families uh, lives here in the States, and so that is obviously a, a, a different situation. We, we couldn't for their benefit because Herb was, uh, there was a trick that they used to get him out, and they said, you can never come back to Russia again if you do, and they get a hold of you, but they'll finish the job. So... Um, it was a matter of, for their protection, we couldn't. And then, because God had so protected us, we went on to China uh, for seven years, and we couldn't really do much communication of anything spiritual from there outside. And then we went to Mexico for five years. And so um, we, team and other people that from the outside were training people from down there, but we couldn't be involved in it. But, not, but they always knew that we loved them. And uh, the pastor, uh, we are still in contact with. And a lot of the people left Mahat well, from Dagestan because it, it got so bad. Well, um, we want to pray for you guys. They currently live in Portland, Oregon. Which some of you would say is worse than Chechnya, which <laughs> it, it might it might be. And, uh, yeah, we need to pray for their witness. Uh, this is the kind of couple that no matter where they go, they want to be the salt and light of Jesus. And I think that's, uh, that should be encouragement uh, and perhaps conviction for us as well. So why don't we stand as, as, as God's church and uh, pray. Um, again, give them a hand if you would. Uh, Herb and Linda, thank you for sharing. And Jason, too, to be that time guy, too, to call your parents out like you only have so many minutes. Appreciate that, brother. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for the time of encouragement this morning. Thank you for the, the message of hope. Thank you that your message uh, continues to go out. The gospel continues to change lives. We pray for the church in Dagestan. We pray for believers in Chechnya. We pray for believers that uh, where the seeds have been planted and the church has been planted, that you would continue to grow your church. Uh, there is a harvest that has been reaped because of the faithfulness of Herb and Linda and this family, Lord. So uh, we will never know until we get into eternity what, what our time has uh, allowed us to be a part of. But we're praying for great fruitfulness to continue from this experience. Lord, thank you for the testimony, for the encouragement, for the ways you've worked in and through this couple, Lord. 
continue to guide and direct their steps. I appreciate their vigor and their energy to continue to be salt and light, even as they live in Portland among a, a, a group of people who are, are resistant to the gospel, continue to allow them to have inroads and opportunities to share the love of Christ. Lord, thank you for the church. Thank you for Missio. May you continue to plant your seeds in our hearts. May we continue to go forth as your ambassadors. And always, whatever the circumstance, point people to Jesus, Lord. Our only hope, our only source of joy, our only life is in him. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord continue to shine his light upon you and give you his grace and peace forever and ever. Amen. Have a great day. Get to know the Gregs if you would. Thanks again, you guys. Appreciate you.